Welcome. You're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Do you ever feel like, hmm, an imposter or that it's not possible for you or maybe people are telling you things, but it doesn't seem to line with who you see yourself to be, it's who you want to be, but you're not quite sure and you feel this disconnection, today, Laura Boyd and I are going to be talking about the imposter syndrome. So I will circle back after my conversation with Laura. All right. So Laura and I are here to talk about imposter syndrome. And I want you all to think about the time that you struggled with imposter syndrome or being a fraud or having earned something or been given something that you didn't think you were deserving of. So think about that. And we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. And I want you to look through on the outside, instead of look through the lens of being an imposter, but instead be a compassionate observer of what we're talking about and how you can help let go of your own imposter syndrome today. So Laura, you want to explain to them what imposter syndrome is? I do. I have the official dictionary definition of it, because I think it just puts it in perspective. So this has been around, well, this has been around for a long time, but they did research on it in the 70s. And interestingly enough, they said, well, this really impacts women. But what they forgot was the research was really only researching women. So when you only research one specific gender, then you are going to find out that that gender is having issues with it. So truly, when I take a step back and I look at all of it, and now the research that has come out since then is saying that this impacts everyone. This impacts everyone. And so they say about 78% have actually felt like they've had imposter syndrome. And I actually think it's 100% have had an imposter syndrome at one point in their life. So when I share with you what the definition is, you'll go, yes, I've been there. I've had that. And so the technical definition is it's the inability to believe that your success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of your own efforts or skills. So the inability to believe that your success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of your own skills or efforts. And so That's the technical definition. And so, Corinne, when I think of it from my perspective, I really say it's the space between. So sometimes I say it's how others perceive me and how I perceive myself, and there's a gap there. Or it's how externally, how I'm coming across and how I feel internally, and there's a gap there. So that's kind of my definition of it, and it always goes back to worthiness and just shame and all of those kinds of things. And and so I think we'll dive into it a little bit more, but that's what I would define imposter syndrome to be. What do you think? Uh, no, I love all that. And again, if you don't notice you're going yourself going around saying, oh, I'm feeling like an imposter. It could be, oh, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. Who am I to be having this job? Who am I to be talking about this? Who am I to be leading this group? 
when you ask yourself that question, it's in that, oh, I'm an imposter. I'm not good enough yet. And maybe you think you need to go get, you know, another degree or a certification or something externally to then, you know, to fill yourself back up. But you may be, as Laura was saying, disconnecting from how people see you versus what you see of yourself. And notice that gap as well, because oftentimes are you noticing people giving you compliments or saying stuff about you and you're like, what are you talking about? It's like, um, what was it? The show Good Times, I think. It was like, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> that was like, that was different strokes. <laughs> different strokes. Thank you. <laughs> Same, same genre, same generation. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. And actually, I mean, I'm 50 years old and I still have to pause sometimes and say thank you instead of saying, oh, it was no big deal or, oh, it was because of X or Y or whatever. I have to pause and just say thank you. When somebody gives you a compliment? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible at that. How is it to receive a compliment when you're sitting there in imposter syndrome? I don't believe it to be true. Mm-hmm. If I'm truly sitting in imposter syndrome, I don't believe the compliment is true. I think most often I go to, well, they feel sorry for me, or there was a lack in conversation, or they're just trying to be nice. Those are kind of the three statements I conjure up in my head. They just feel sorry for me. Hmm. So if they feel sorry for you, they're going to give you a compliment? Yeah. Actually, this, Corinne, this is where my imposter syndrome began. This is exactly where it began in third grade. It's just (laughs) so funny because I can go back and I can remember it. And it was about me winning this award out of the whole first through third grade. And I didn't even know this award existed even. But they called my name up there. I walked up there. Mr. Bernard, the principal gave me this award. And I was like, wow, I'd never had an award before. I never had any accolades like that. It was so cool. And the other cool thing was my mom, who at the time was a single parent, she was in the audience. And if you kind of think back to the late 70s, parents didn't get the opportunity to necessarily leave their businesses or their jobs to come to different school functions. And so it was a big deal that my mom was there. So, wow, huge deal. My best friend, Heidi H., and I know her last name, but Heidi H. actually said to me, you know why you got that award when we're walking back to class? She said, it's because everybody feels sorry for you because your parents Mm. are divorced. And it's so interesting now how many years later I still think of that. Now, I've been developed since then and I've worked on it, but it still comes back to me every time because anytime I do receive an award or earn an award, I have to think through that. Like, why did I get this? Was it a true award? And really at the end of the day, who cares? Okay. So I have a question. So 42 years later, (laughs) right? What would your 50 year old self say to your eight year old self about what your friend had said, your best friend? Well, I would go back and I would say, So what would my 50-year-old self say to my 8-year-old self? Mm -hmm. After you've been given this message from your best friend, oh, you got that award because everybody feels sorry for you because your parents are divorced. So what would your 50-year-old self go back and say to your 8-year-old self now, knowing that that was a message? I think, well, that's a really good question. I think one of the things I probably would say is because of some of the circumstances you've had in your life, 
you've actually grown up to be a pretty cool woman. You've got some really amazing skill sets that come because of your childhood and your upbringing, and you're going to make it. You're going to be just fine, lady. That's what I might say. Now, I might have some other words for Heidi, but... <laughs> What's the most generous assumption you can think of of eight-year-old Heidi when she said that? Uh, I actually, I feel bad because I think there's a little bit of jealousy and insecurity, kind of the compare and despair, right? Mm -hmm. As we still struggle with. So I don't know how she's doing today, but it'd be interesting to see. I bet she's just a, a strong woman, just like myself. But when you can look at, okay, she's eight years old with limited tools, right? There was some jealousy in me, right? And she says that, how does that land for you now? It lands for me in that, I think that's the compassion part of it. Like I have compassion for her because she's going to figure it out. She's smart. She'll get the tools. She'll figure it out. So I think that's the compassion and the empathy piece of it. And I don't believe it to be true now. You don't believe what to be true now? That I just got it because everybody felt sorry for me. Mm. So I don't know if you guys saw all that. <laughs> Oh, no. Are we unpacking this right here? <laughs> it is recording. <laughs> right, right. So this is a great real-time live example of when we can go into that compassion, right? Instead of having that sting of that story that can weigh us down, we can then see that, oh, here's an example of how hurt people hurt people, right? And it may have been true, may not have been true, but why hold on to it that it was even true? And the other side is, as a 50-year-old, knowing how awards are given, do you think you received that award because people felt sorry for you? No. 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 And I actually, I think it's interesting because now looking back, I, I am a pretty cool cat. And I think part of it is because I love people so much. So when you think about what a super citizenship award might be, it would be having the care and compassion for others. And that's, that's how I've lived my life because I truly believe in people. So if you call Laura on the phone, oh, <laughs> no. get you. all of a sudden you get totally greeted. And I'm like, wow, this is a way to be received by somebody. She's so excited to see or not see you, but talk to you on the phone. And, but you have to be willing, like for me, I have to be willing to receive that. But when I, when you talk about who you are, I'm like, yes, of course. Like you're so happy to see people, right? There's so much love and so much energy and that you're putting out there. So that makes sense. It's not because people felt sorry for you. Right. Actually, that's interesting. I was getting my haircut last week and somebody said, the, this new stylist who was an apprentice or whatever, she's like, wow, you just have a lot of positive energy just sitting there. I'm like, what? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but I just thought that was so funny. I, it was just such a nice compliment. I mean, I said, thank you. And then I asked, what does that mean? <laughs> so it's just the energy that you exude for others. And I probably have had that my whole life. But here's the difference, Corinne, if I can just, we're, then we'll go back to imposter syndrome. Here's the difference is I think back in my eight-year-old self, I was doing it to be more of a pleaser of others. And now I'm truly doing it because I just, I, I care about others. And so it's not that I didn't care about them, but I think it was more about them than it was about me. So why'd you switch? It's too exhausting. <laughs> it's not sustainable. And truthfully, I needed to love who I was first before I could love others. I mean, I think about like our eight-year-old self, right? I mean, that's when we're starting to create more awareness 
about the world, how we're perceived, right? There's been enough programming, messaging told to us about how we're supposed to be. And then when you grow up the way you and I grew up, right, we don't necessarily have a place of belonging. So we're trying to figure out how to fit in with the very limited tool sets we have. So it makes sense. And then as what worked for us at one point no longer works, right? That's why I'm a recovering approval whore because it worked for a period of time, but it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. No. So imposter syndrome, you have some thoughts about it being a good thing, and I'd like you to share it with the audience. Well, interestingly enough, I see things as they could be good or bad, and that's my perspective of the world. Uh, And I think imposter syndrome falls right into that. I think imposter syndrome, there is an opportunity for you to look at it from a negative standpoint if you just drown yourself with that imposter syndrome and and it kind of stagnates you and you can't move forward like you're in quicksand and you cannot get out of it. That's the negative side of imposter syndrome. Or if you don't go for those opportunities because you think you're a fraud or you don't go for you know, those awards because you don't want people to think you just got it because they felt sorry for you. Those kinds of things. And it stops you from doing something that you really wanted to do. That's a bad thing. But on the good side, sometimes imposter syndrome, I think allows us, if we have the confident humility type of imposter syndrome, so we're confident yet we're going to be humble through this process because we don't have all the answers. So I'm okay with that as long as everybody else is okay with that. So sometimes it pushes us to get the answers and move it forward more fast or more quickly. So it could be good or bad. That's how I see it. How do you see it, Corinne? So I don't like to have the words good or bad. And the listeners may recall that, right? Because there's so much judgment and I'm constantly dealing with this like all or nothing behavior. So I like to try to live in the in the space in between. So I will call it, and it's just a, it's just wordsmithing, right? Strengths and weaknesses, um, which people can then attribute to good and bad. But being a good girl or being a bad girl is such a shame trigger, right? And how we don't want to be perceived. So I try to stay out of that. I do think that we all, it's like Carol Dweck, she talks about we all are on this continuum, right? None of us are all growth or all fixed where it's, it's a continuum and it depends on the arena. And I do think that there are times that that's why I call myself a recovering approval whore because there are times I'm like, oh, I'm starting to sell myself out. And it doesn't have to be this huge adrenaline rush to, to ignite me. It can just be in, a bit of ignition, right? But it doesn't have to be this pendulum swing, these all or nothings that I would always, I used to do. So I think contrast is great because it gives us an awareness. I just don't like to label it good or bad. So if it's about igniting, but not... And I don't know if you did this, but like I used to be like go a million miles an hour and then just crash and burn, go a million miles an hour and crash and burn. And I really, and I'm pretty tired these days right now, but I haven't been going a million miles an hour and I've also been giving myself permission to rest, right? And that's been its own struggle to rest because my brain has a lot of rules about what I'm supposed to do. So I try not to go to those those hard things. I guess that's for me, good and bad is very black and white. And that's why I stay away from that. Mm-hmm. I can see that because I think that that's what you're talking about is it's a very much an extreme versus living in the gray type of scenario. I could see that. But sometimes for me, I it pushes me. But again, it has to go back to, do you have your boundaries in place too? Well, and that's why I think it can be a great igniter, right? Like 
I mean, right now the Olympics are going on. There's a push because there people are on this platform. They want to do well. They want to represent their country well. They want to represent themselves well, right? Like there is a igniter and it's about taking that nervous energy and using it for the, to help them achieve their goals, right? And there's what we call an Olympic hangover because after the Olympics, people are so depleted because they've been putting so much energy. So whether it's the Olympics or like last year in quarter four, I had a lot of clients after coming out of COVID, well, we're all still working from home, but putting deals together. And there was a lot of eruptions. And I was like, you know, and I just kept reminding them that you're going to close this deal and then there's going to be a hangover right? Because there's been a lot of energy to get the results that you wanted and that's okay. And on top of it with all that, you know, all the emotions of COVID. So yeah, I don't think it's a problem to have an igniter. I think if we always have to have igniter, if we always need to have, you know, that kind of adrenaline kick to get going, that's where I think the burnout comes from. Yeah. If you always have to have it. Yeah. And always is such a definite, that's another extreme, right? That's, that's part of it too. But I, I just think the key part of it is the being aware of it. Because I'm a huge believer that you can't change anything unless you're aware of it, right? So if you're aware of your emotions and your feelings, as you're like, wait a second, I think this is that imposter syndrome that I've been hearing about. What does that mean for me? And it's getting a little bit of backlash right now because they're saying, well, organizations are just hanging their hats on this, that women have it in particular or whatever. You know, they're saying get out of this idea that there is imposter syndrome. And I think that there is imposter syndrome, but I think it's how you deal with it that is helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, so the biggest shame trigger out there is how we are perceived, how we want to be perceived and how we don't want to be perceived, right? Which I actually put that, I tie that part of the research in with this imposter syndrome of, you know, how do I want to be perceived? How do I think I'm being perceived? Do those stories like you're talking about match up? Or are they really distant, right? And then the, the other side is, is that we're constantly dealing with everybody's opinion, right? It's not a fact. Whether you're a nice person or not, that is somebody's opinion on what they think is nice. It's not, how do you get to four? Two plus two equals four, right? That's very concrete. So the perception piece, once we can let go of how do we want to be perceived and first off go, how am I perceiving myself? What do I believe? And then knowing, again, it goes back to what we talk about, knowing whose opinion really matters. Yeah, that's a key point, right? Who's in your arena? The VIP seats for sure. But I think it's interesting too. This is one thing that I love about the imposter syndrome because I think I've heard this my whole career, maybe my whole life, I don't know, but my whole career at least to say, hey, Laura, you know what? Imposter syndrome doesn't exist. Just fake it till you make it. And I just, I love that because I'm like, And just recently, probably in the last five, 10 years, I've taken a step back to say, fake it till I make it. What if I never make it? So then am I constantly faking it? Because there isn't somebody that I even know who our society would say is successful that you'd ask them, do you feel like you've made it? That they'd actually say yes. I bet those people would say, no, I don't feel like I've made it. Well, now they're faking it the whole time too. So that's, and I learned this, I think, from you, Corinne, just probably in our first um, year together, but just more talking about what if we believe to achieve instead of fake it to make it? What if I believed in my own abilities and my own worth and my own value to achieve whatever I want to accomplish? That'd be pretty amazing instead of faking it till you make it. 
Well, it's kind of like the sound that we have going on in this in this show today. Because <laughs> it's so amazing. It's so amazing. And I <laughs> believed, right? I was like, okay, it's going to happen. And we owned it, right? We didn't say, oh, it sounds better. We weren't faking it. We talked about it in the last episode of, or in a previous episode of, here's what's going on. And it's going to get better, right? And I, I just kept believing it was going to get better. I knew, you know, and, and it's better. And that's a very simple thing. But, you know, so often I think the fake it till you make it is we're going to pretend that that problem never existed. And it wasn't really a problem. It's just audio quality, right? But people would say it's a problem where we're going to pretend it didn't happen and we're going to carry forward. But then that shame just carries on us, right? So that fake it till you make it, I hate that saying. I absolutely do not like it because what's the message you're telling yourself? You're faking it. Right. Right. And that goes back to, is that the relationship you want to have with yourself where you know that you're faking it, that you're lying to yourself? You haven't made it. So you're just encouraging that imposter syndrome to continue to fester until you make it. And then you're like, oh, now I've made it. So now I can relax. But like, as you said, even when people make it, they're often like, um, wait a second, did I really make it? Yeah. And actually I, I share this a lot with my clients because I think uh, I had a partner that told me, you know, Laura, you get to the top of the mountain and then you're like, what's the next highest mountain? There's never a point where you're like, I kind of like the view here. I'm going to stay here. I'm content. I like what I'm doing. He was very adamant about getting to the top of the mountain and saying, what's the next highest mountain? How can I be the next highest? That's not contentment. That's faking it until you make it because you deemed yourself not to make it. Well, we, we've been taught that we need to keep doing and achieving and doing more and keep going, right? And it takes courage. I mean, even like right now where I'm working on trusting myself of, yes, Corinne, you need to rest. Or yes, Corinne, it's good to take some time off, right? I'm going to be taking off some time in April and then probably in September and really being okay with that and trusting that and saying, this will actually be rejuvenating for me so that my I can come back and actually serve at a, at a higher level because I'm I'm really tired. And my brain sometimes goes, but what if, right? Like, and so it's just interesting. And I'm like, this is all an experiment. It's all an experiment. There's going to be a lot of learning. And so that's how I get into that compassion. Because even as I asked that question just a second ago, I could feel my blood pressure go up, right? I could feel the tension in my neck and in my jaw. But I also know that I need rest and I need time away and I need time off and I need to be able to look at the ocean, even if it's from my room window and not from (laughs) the pool. Well, and so how do people do that? Like, how do you work with your clients in helping them get to that realization that they need rest, rejuvenation? It goes back to constantly working on that. What is your relationship with yourself, right? Trusting yourself. How do you talk with yourself, right? Your brain has a very simple job. It's your job is to keep you alive, but then, okay, what are really the facts, you know? And one of the mistakes that we we sometimes take information that's out in society or a word or a phrase, but I had a client go, he said, I've got all this momentum going. I've got to just keep it going. Cause it's like, if you didn't keep it going, it was going to stop. Right. And I, I think of that as being on a hamster wheel. Like we really don't want to be on a hamster wheel that doesn't allow for innovation, creativity, connection. That just leads to exhaustion. And we've all been really good at doing that. I've been really good at doing that. So then it's about how do you take small tests? So maybe it's not answering email after eight o'clock at night, right? I've gotten much better about that over the years, but different small tests. And so like taking off significant time 
has been something that I've been practicing over time. So there's that. Um, sometimes it could be like deciding that there's going to be certain work days that are not going to be working days, right? And being okay with that or just checking in with yourself. Now, there's always a consequence because we're adults about that, right? Right. I think it's interesting too, when you go back to the imposter syndrome piece of it, I, I think sometimes we put these high expectations on ourselves that nobody else has except for us. So then what happens is, like you said, we've got all these other messages coming in our head. But if you think about, if you stop and think about these messages, most often they're your own, right? And it's, you know, very similar to you. Like, oh my gosh, if I don't answer that, you know, after eight o'clock, I'm going to lose this client or whatever, making this up, of course. But no, that's probably not going to happen. But we put that in our heads. And until we pause on that and say, is that true? Is that absolutely true? And so that's how I actually have been able to stop the imposter syndrome. And I'm going to share this. This is such a weird thing. But all of these self-limiting beliefs and talks I have in my own head, which let me just tell y'all, there's a lot. But for some reason, there's this orange hand that comes up and stops me. I don't know where it came from, but it's this, this orange hand and it just, it causes me to stop pause, be aware of what I'm thinking, and then actually ask the question, is this true? Is it absolutely true? And so I think that that's really important is to stop yourself. I mean, you have to do something, whether it's stand up or take a deep breath or listen to music, just something, find something that's going to stop those continuous imposter syndrome thoughts. What do you think? It's the ruminating. Yes. No, thought stopping is really important. So remember, there's the doing system, which we were talking about. Now this is the thinking system, right? It's the cognition. And what so often happens is people want to manage the circumstances instead of their brains, right? And so, you know, one thing I deal with a lot, like with um, teenagers on the monsters is like the queen bees. Well, guess what? I deal with this with executives too right? Who are the queen bees, the power structures? And this is all from imposter syndrome, not enough. It's all the same stuff. And so people are thinking, oh, if we can just have that person not be around, we won't have to deal with it. Well, guess what? There's going to be somebody else, right? So how are you managing the stories that you're telling yourself? Is it really true? Just because somebody has an opinion says, oh, Laura, you got that award because everybody feels sorry for you. You get to decide, do you want to believe that? Is that true or not? Because that's an opinion. And until you know what the absolute fact is, and oftentimes we're not going to know what the real truth is. So what's the truth that we want to hold on to? What is it that we want to believe? So I really think checking in with our thinking is so, so important. And then also, so because, you know, Brene says it's not that nobody's opinion matters because that could be a very dangerous thing, but knowing whose opinion matters right? And can that person really offer you feedback? So for instance, I had lunch recently with a friend of mine and he was, darling, he said, Corinne, how can I support you? He's really trying hard to show up with empathy. And and I thought about it and I was like in tears and I didn't want to cry, but because there was so much empathy there, it was like an easy way for me to just open up. And, and I thought about it and I said, this wasn't the words that I used, but basically this is what I asked for. I need you to check my stories, right? Like I wanted his perspective. I didn't want him to just be a yes person and be like, oh yes, you were wronged. And you know, 
that person was horrible, blah, blah, blah. I said, I want you to give me perspective if I may be not missing things, right? And I fumbled through it because I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't, wasn't expecting because really, how often are people asked, what can I do to support you? Right? That's a really vulnerable thing. He's somebody who's done his work. He's a good friend of mine. He's done his work. He knows I've done my work. This is a culmination of many years of friendship, right? So that we could be at this point where he can sit there and say that. So now that's not what everybody asks, right? But that was something that I wanted from him of like, hey, he's earned the right to hear my story and I want perspective. And the other side is I also told him there were times I'm like, okay, thank you. And I don't agree with that. (laughs) And (laughs) bye-bye. No, it was like, bye-bye. I was just like, I just don't agree. I mean, I remember he said stuff and I said, yeah, thank you. You know, I could see that and I don't agree with that. I still don't think it's okay. And I was like, if we really want to have tough conversations and authentic conversations and authentically show up, it's not going to be harmonious, right? Like it wasn't divisive. We had different thought streams and that's okay, right? Because, and then I would sit there and I've still, there's some stuff that we talked about. I'm still noodling on. That's where the growth comes from because then we get to develop what do we believe, right? How do we want to see the world? Which, you know, when we go back to the imposter syndrome is how is the world perceiving us and what do we believe about ourselves? Right. And I think that's the key part because it has to go back to us. Just like anything from a leadership standpoint, a growth standpoint, you have to look at yourself in the mirror. And how do you want to come out of that? How do you want to be perceived? How do you want to show up? Well, in, in knowing that, I mean, you know, there's all this talk nowadays about being the best version of you. And I, and I talk about that too. And I always say that it's already inside of us, right? And then what we've done is we've armored ourselves up. We've shielded ourselves. We, you know, became who we thought we were supposed to be, but it's already inside of us. It's the essence of us. But as we're evolving, it's our own growth. It's not a destination, right? Like how we say it's, it's not this promise on like, once we arrive there, we're going to be on easy street for the rest of our lives. Because there's some things that you and I are on easy street. Like we have grown children. You know, I was talking to somebody today. I didn't have to do distance learning and do that and run my business. Like my adult children were responsible for that. Now, was there parenting that I had to do for other areas? Absolutely, right? Because that job's never done. But I wasn't every day. Like I, I have friends where they are the English teacher. They are the math teacher, Right. I did not have to do that. So I was in the promised land there. And there were other areas of my life (laughs) that it was not the promised land (laughs) with the same people. Right. Yeah, that's so true. But I I still think it, it goes back to what is it that you want to be doing? What is it that you, how you want to show up, right? It doesn't matter what's going on in the background, but it's how you are coming out. So I'm like getting total chills. But here's the thing. Before you can even get to what is it you want to do, do you believe that you get to do what you want to do? I don't think you always get to believe you get to do what you want to do. But it's, isn't it harder then to get to how do I want to show up? How do I want to be? What do I want to do? If you don't believe that you have the right to do what you want to do? Yes, it is harder. But aren't there just some things that you don't have a choice? Now, how okay. you respond to those because I would say probably most parents said, I don't want to be the teacher. But if you want your kid to have an education and to help, that's kind of what you need to do, right? So I almost think I look at it as how are you responding to that? 
that inability to have a choice, your choice really is how you're going to respond to that versus react to it. So Martha Beck has this great tool. It's called the three B's. And if you're a client or former client, you've heard me use this, but it's the three B's. When you have something that you don't want to do, whether it's distance learning your kids, folding the laundry, you know, going to work, there's three B's, B as in boy. You can bag it and not do it, right? So just say, forget it, I'm not going to do it. That's for some people called procrastination. (laughs) I'm really good at that. (laughs) Um, you can buy it or barter it, right? So there are things that I am so happy to throw money at to have somebody else do for me, right? And if money is an issue, you can barter it. You can have somebody else do that. And I've done that as well throughout my life. Or you can better it. And so I used to do this with the dishes because I'd like used to have this argument all the time about I shouldn't have to do the dishes. If my life were only a such and such way, I would never have to do the dishes. And I remember Byron Katie said, like, anytime you argue with reality, you lose 100% of the time. Like the amount of time you spend arguing, it's like my children. The amount of times you spend arguing about doing the dishes in your brain, you could have just gotten it done. And one day when I finally had that perspective, I'm like, really? How long does it take to like even just hand wash something? Like I I had lunch this afternoon and I made myself some eggs and stuff. It didn't take me that long. I even cut up some onions and sauteed them. It really didn't take, it was like 15 minutes, which is still faster than if I drive downtown to go pick up food and bring it back home, right? So that's a way to better something. So you can bag it, barter it or buy it or better it. And so when I think about your example of, distance learning, yeah, we may not want to do distance learning with our children if we have young children, but the alternative is, are you okay with your child's current educational status? That's the question. And there's not a judgment. Every family has to just determine what they're comfortable with or not. So oftentimes my friends who have been interceding or jumping in with the distance learning, it's because they, while they don't want to be the teacher, they're also not willing for their kid to have the gap in learning. So it's, I guess, the lesser of two evils is the way you could look at it, right? So they do want their child to learn. They just don't really want to be the person to do it. But when they look at the options, they choose this. They've bettered it, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I look at it. Hmm. I could see that. I, I actually, I've never heard those three Bs. So now all of my clients will be hearing about those. But I think, I mean, it's true, right? I mean, we all have a choice. Life is about choices. It really is. And it's really how you choose to show up and how you choose to respond. I mean, everybody says that. Not everybody lives by that, but people say that, that you have these choices and it's all about how you respond to them. It's the same thing with imposter syndrome too, because it's we could drown ourselves in imposter syndrome and we could gladiate, we can just think that we're terrible, which, yeah, sometimes I do. But right now, at this point in my life, my career, my passion, where I'm at, it stops pretty quickly and it gets redirected. Well, one is it stops quickly because you've done your work, right? Like right. We, we need to do our work. And this is something that I know for a long part of my life, it wasn't something that I thought I could do. I wasn't allowed to do. It was like, oh, there's that Corinne. She's always into all that stuff, right? But now I just really realize it's important for us to do our work, like our emotional work our cognitive work besides the work of what have we accomplished, right? Because that used to be the only priority. So when we go back to it's important to do what you want, I was really good at doing what I was supposed to do, what was expected. You know, this is who you are. This is what you do. And it was told to me by outside things. And so that hustle began. 
And so what I've had to learn how to do is go, hey, it's important to do what I want to do, right? That part is really important. Doesn't mean I get to do everything I want to do, right? Maybe at some point I'll be there, but it's there's always going to be the tension of what I want to do and there's choices and there are consequences of it, right? So the more that I can be fascinated. So um, I'm in the middle of planning a trip and it's so fun to just kind of, well, it's not really fun. It was kind of stressful. To, but like now to look back and watch my brain, when I was making lunch, I was thinking about it today. I'm like, wow, I have like all these rules and restrictions about travel and like holidaying, right? Like I will spend, everybody knows about my coffee habit and I will spend crazy money on coffee like no other And it was so interesting to watch my brain around the travel. And especially because there hasn't been travel through COVID, right? So it's been a couple of years and what was okay and what was not. And there was like, I delayed probably hitting the buy button by about 30 or 40 minutes because I was like, really, I'm going to do this, right? And I was like, yes, but it was because I have this old belief, like it's not okay for me to do this, right? So how'd you get out of it? Because I know it's important for me to do what I want to do, right? And I have the money for it. I have the time for it. It's all been decided. It was just a matter of giving myself my own permission that I can go and do this. I get to choose. Right. And yeah, and that it's life is about choices. Even though people say, I don't feel like I have a choice. I just, I don't believe that to be true. I think people have a choice and it's, it's about how they're going to respond to what's been given them. And, and and sometimes how we want to respond is we want to sulk and we want to grieve and we want to say yeah. it's not fair and, and we all have that right too. Like, And then at some point we have to check in to how is this serving us? Is it helping us? Mm-hmm. Right. And I do think the grieving and the anger and the frustration and all of that is really, really important because it's that release so we can move forward versus stuffing it down, which then it becomes a volatile situation at some point. But there's also the overindulgence of it, right? Like, so if you're constantly like, oh, and you're not receiving or self-deprecating or beating yourself up or like, you know, holding on story funneling the imposter syndrome, that becomes like, oh, I'm not good enough for this job. I'm not good enough for this job. It's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Versus we'll go back again to the microphone. There was like all this drama last week about the microphone. I was like, okay, well, there was drama with you. I was more concerned about my trip, <laughs> trying to figure out how to, get to, how, to, how to fly where I wanted to go. And was it okay to fly and all of that. But I just knew that this would be a solution. You know, it's a plug and play. We would be able to get this fixed, right? And then this morning when it didn't happen, I was like, okay, we'll get to it. And then we, we pivoted again. So though, if we can handle that more in that manner, things in that manner, it would be less costly to us. Now, way easier for me to do that here than in certain arenas of my life, right? And I think that's the beauty of our lives is that we get to continue working on it. So I want to go to something though before we run out of time. And so whether it's the indulging and then the self-fulfilling prophecy of keeping ourselves stuck or not being able to create. So whether it's the job, right? Women tend to apply for jobs that they're overqualified for. And men, there's a statistic, men apply for jobs that they may have like 50 to 60% of the qualifications, right? So this could go tie back to the, you know, the study that you're referring to. But so one of the things is that if we realize that we can grow and learn, you know, we apply to a job and then we don't try to lie about it and fake it till we make it, but we're like, hey, this is what I know how to do. And these are the skill sets that I have that's going to help me grow into that position, 
right? We don't need to come in as the master and have it all figured out because there's not anybody I know who does high level work that knows how they're going to get through it. Like we didn't know how we're going to get through COVID, right? I just knew my goal was I was going to be standing on the other side of it. That was my goal. But if we don't do it that way, I think how imposter syndrome can serve us is it can help us off-ramp our own life. And what I mean by that is you're pursuing a goal, you're feeling like a fraud, and you're not believing you're not enough. And then it's like, well, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit the job. I'm going to quit the, you know, the sport, whatever it is. I'm going to quit. I'm out. I'm done. Right. And I have no judgment with anyone because I'm a really good fleer, right? Like I have to, I have to own what I do to be able to be aware of that so that I don't do that and sabotage myself. But that is one of the ways that imposter syndrome can serve us, not in the way of what we want, but again, in helping us stay stuck. It's like, oh, well, I feel like an imposter. So I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to deal with this. This is too hard for my brain versus learning how to manage our mindset. What do you think? Oh my gosh. I totally agree with that. It was so funny because I was going to go in that same direction that I do think that people overcompensate, overeducate, overdetail. And I think I would agree that I see more of it in female characteristics than male in particular. And it actually, I, I noticed it right out of college. I'd have a lot of my, or not out of college, but I'd have a lot of my professional network say, hey, can you meet with my new college grad, son or daughter? Every single time I could tell you exactly how it was going to go. I could show the exact same position to a male or a female and the female would be like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. I've never done that before. And and I would show a male a new graduate and he would look at it and say, oh, I can totally do that. Even though he has, he has the same resume, but it's a mindset. It is a mindset. It is a belief about how you look at yourself. And I'll tell you, if females have to start to believe in themselves first before they start to see others believe in them, so be it. Do it. Start believing in yourself. And I think that's something that I get nervous about is that I don't want to use this crutch of, well, this person didn't believe in me. So, I mean, I've had a lot of people not believe in me necessarily throughout my career. And I've just had to override it. I've had to have a little bit of that confidence and a little bit of humility at the same time, right? To get through that. So that's my thing for females is get beyond it. Take, Be aware of imposter syndrome. Change your mindset. You can't change your circumstance. Change your mindset. How are you going to address it and believe to achieve your own abilities? Because that's really where it comes down to. And that's why I love the believe to achieve, right? Because that's, I mean, I started that back when I was at the college and working with young women athletes who were like, but wait. And I'm like, we have to believe to achieve. Like we've been taught achieve and then you get to believe. Right. How do you achieve when you don't believe it? Sometimes then you sometimes things happen because you're just throwing stuff at it and it worked. But then you're like, oh, well, it only worked because I was throwing stuff at it right? But when you believe in yourself and like, I'm going to figure this out. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know the way through it, but I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to be committed to it. That's how you can stay committed because when you go through that achievement, there's always going to be obstacles. So it's like, I'm going to believe that I can figure it out. I don't have to know the answers, but I'm going to figure it out, right? That belief is really, really important versus I know how to do X, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I think just, I know we need to close up, but on the opposite side, we haven't really talked about that, but there are situations where it doesn't actually work out. 
So the imposter syndrome, it doesn't work. And then that's where you have the choice again to gladiate or feel sorry for yourself or say that you're, you don't have that value. Like I think of awards that I haven't received or earned and I feel kind of bad. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like I'm like, what? I did this so great this year, whatever the scenario was, and I didn't get the award. And I have to take a step back and go, I'm still great at what I do. I still believe in my abilities and uh, I'm choosing to continue to do that because I, I love working with people and I love helping them. So I think that there's that too, where you could see people say, wow, I must not be good at it. That's why I didn't get that award. See, and I have like a totally different belief. I'm like, oh, a lot of awards, you can just buy them. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. And, and that's where we should drop the mic because really it does come down to that. How much sponsorship can you give so you can get an award? But I believe it to be true that people earn them respectfully. And I think that there's that as well. So, And always going back to like, it's important to give yourself permission to do what you want to do with the constraint in there that it's not my way or the highway. It's all about me and not about anybody else, right? But you get to be part of that equation of doing what you want to do. And then how do you want to believe in yourself? And achieve and then consistently check in with what is your truth? I think that's what we're talking about today. I love it. Love it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Laura. Thank you. We'll be back talking with you guys some more. Okay. So here's my invitation for you. It's not that we need to learn more, have it memorized so that we can get the right answer for the test. I know that's how we've all been taught with education and with being tested. But it's about getting into your way of being and being able to put on a lens where you can see things that maybe you haven't been able to see before. And that's what my hope is for these conversations that I have with Laura as we talk about stuff, because guess what? We've been there and the imposter syndrome has been our hell and we've come out of it as well. And it is possible for you to overcome imposter syndrome, believing that you're a fraud, thinking that you're not good enough, thinking that you're not deserving of what you may have, right? It's really important to understand that there are ways to move through it and you're not the only one because one is when you realize you're not the only one, it gives you the ability to be more compassionate with yourself because if anything, shame loves secrecy and wants you to think that you're the only one because you're bad, you're broken, but we're all going through this together. And at different times and at different places. So there's certain areas of my life where the imposter syndrome doesn't show up. And I really believe that I get to do what I want to do. And then there's some areas where I don't. And it's so fascinating when I can look at myself and go, wow, here are these beliefs, here are these prison walls that either were built and I allowed them to stay up and I've reinforced them and I've lived by them, or I never even saw them to even question them to check in? Does it suit me? So my invitation for you is, and my hope for you is with the show, you will be able to put on a lens and see parts of your life more clearly. And I get it. At times it can be overwhelming and you don't have to do it all. It's not an all massive cleanup, right? It's like Peter Walsh, who's been on the show a bunch in the early years would say, he's like, if you have 10 minutes, clean out that drawer, you don't have to do the whole house, right? He's the decluttering guy. You can declutter one part of your brain. Maybe it's a drawer in your brain and you declutter that, you unpack that, and then you work on that area. 
And then that area becomes to be more functioning. And then you work on other areas. And when I say more functioning, I don't mean that like, oh, you weren't functioning, but where it doesn't have that armor and that weight that Laura and I were talking about. Always checking in with yourself, you know, checking in with what is true. What do you believe? And remembering how we want to be perceived and how we don't want to be perceived are big shame triggers. So that's my invitation for you is that you see you a bit more clearly. I'm smelling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so wide awake.